Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Welcome to Culture Bites. My name's Dominic Gawley. I'm a consultant with Human Synergistics Australia. And I'm joined on the show this week by our head of consulting, Corinne Cantor. Hey, Corinne. Hey, Dom. How are you? Um, it's been a while. It has been a while. We've had a bit of a gap, but we're back on it. And I've got a doozy for you this week, which is around psychological safety. So it's a term that's often, you know, people are talking about it. It's a bit of a flavor. And so I guess what I'd be interested in exploring with you today is, you know, kind of what is psychological safety if we define our terms first and then kind of get to a point of what does the a circumplex have to say about it and how does it fit in, why does it matter, that kind of stuff. Yep. So if we start at the top there, psychological safety, we've heard of it before, but let's define our terms. So what do we mean or what do you mean when you say that? And I'm going to stand on the shoulders of giants when I talk about the definition of psychological safety. Just before I go into the defining it, I think it is a term that has just gradually grown uh-huh. in prominence and grabbing our attention as being such an important part of helping people realize their potential. So I think it's been around the need for psychological safety has been around for centuries, decades. Yep. But the term has sort of gradually come to prominence probably in the last 10 years, I would say. And in terms of what it is, One of the researchers in this area is probably the most prominent and one of the people that I I like to do a lot of reading and referring to when talking about psychological safety is Amy Edmondson. Uh And so she talks about psychological safety really as being the belief and confidence that the environment that I'm working in, so let's just talk about work, is safe for me to take some personal and interpersonal risk. Uh So what I mean by that is I feel safe to speak up, to challenge, to disagree without fear of punishment or censure or any negative kind of repercussion, you know, including humiliation or the loss of access to opportunity. So Uh it's I would go further and say, so it's the belief that I'm safe to challenge and speak up. Not only that it's safe, but that it's welcomed. Okay. So in an environment, organizations have got high level of psych safety, people will feel encouraged, invited, and welcomed to actually speak up, challenge, have their voice. And Amy Edmondson goes to a lot of pains to say, it's not about being nice. Part of the psych safety is giving people a voice to feel that they can offer their opinion and their ideas freely without repercussion. But the other part of it is in service of excellence. So it's Uh not to be nice. It's not to be overly accommodating, but it's actually in service of being able to achieve. So there's a very strong, you know, achievement orientation to it as well. It's an interesting definition. The Safe to take a risk. Yeah. You know, so because safe and risk, I guess people kind of see those as opposite ends of the spectrum to some degree, right? Mm. But to take a risk, to voice a, an opinion, you know, albeit uh, <laughs> for me to say differently, I'm not the researcher, but I'd also throw in there free to give it a go. 
yeah. kind of stuff. So it's not just sort of speaking up, but for you to try, try new things, do it a different way, experiment, you know, yeah. whatever. Experiment, try new things, you know, try something completely different from the way we have normally done it, you know, would be that I feel that I, I'm safe enough to do that. So I think it's about creating a felt sense of safety and security is perhaps what we'd referred to so that people feel supported and free to have their voice but to bring their whole self to their work and to their teams. And I think, you know, part of the context of understanding why psychological safety is important and there are so many reasons why, you know, from an organisation business point of view, we're in a fast-moving world uh-huh. and it's just not going to be possible for a single leader or a single person to be across everything. And a lot of the way that we do work today and has been for a long time, what we value is knowledge, you know, the capacity, our ex- the human experience, human knowledge. And so if you're really going to leverage that as an organization, you've got to ensure that people feel that they can contribute their knowledge and their experience in the work that you're asking them to do. And if they don't feel safe to do so, you will never leverage the talent that you've hired. The other reason is that if you don't allow people to admit mistakes and understand that it's okay to make them as long as you kind of learn from them, you may not ever find out that something's wrong until it's too late. In some instances, I, Dom, you actually introduced me to the story of the Columbia Space Shuttle. Uh-huh. And I use this story as a good way to show, A, the impact of culture and what culture really is, as well as also an example of when what can happen when psychological safety isn't in place. And the Columbia Space Shuttle story, you know, people may be old enough or may remember that in 2003, the Columbia Space Shuttle re-entered the Earth's atmosphere, having spent two weeks researching in space. Now, on entry, there was a piece of insulating foam that had broken off and I think hit the left orbital wing. That's the extent of my technical knowledge. Uh (laughs) Now, what that meant was that the ship disintegrated at something like 18,000 times the speed of sound. Uh So, of course, killing all the the crew members. Now, what's interesting about this is that there is a technical reason why this happened, but this incident was really a failure of culture. And six months after the accident happened, the Columbia Investigation Board published its findings and named that NASA's culture in the operations and management was really at the the root cause of this issue. Why? Because NASA, I believe, had put off this mission 18 times over two years. They had been under incredible pressure from Congress to launch and they had caught launch fever and really wanted to go. Now, here's the interesting thing about culture. So the reason the culture was at, at fault here was because there was a group of structural engineers who were concerned about this potential fault. And one of them, Rodney Rocha, 
actually, this group had repeatedly raised the issue uh-huh. and it hadn't been taken on board. But Rodney Rocha, and this is the, the point around psychological safety, he was very concerned about going forward and he'd actually crafted and drafted an email to management the night before, so the story goes, where he actually says, this is irresponsible, bordering on negligent. This is the wrong way to go. What I found fascinating when I was reading his story was the fact that he drafted this email, felt strongly enough about it to draft an email, and then found that his finger was hovering over Uh the send button. And so that's culture. Okay, that hover. That that hover. This is the question. This is the question. Should I send it? Is it safe to do so? Exactly. What would happen? So, and I think this is what culture that isn't safe looks like in action. So if he'd been working in an organisation that had high levels of psychological safety, he wouldn't have even thought to hover. He would have written it and sent it because he would have understood that that was what his organisation was asking him to do, to care enough about the work that they were doing, to care enough about the safety of others that he would just send it. But the fact that he had to think about it, now he didn't end up sending it. He mm. did talk to a colleague about it and the colleague said something like, that is a significant play. Okay. Right. Okay. Now, oh, I th- oh, to, to hit move, send, to, to hit send it, that's right. And I thought that's kind of UN speak for, you know, how United Nations have got all this language right. that's code <laughs> right. for something else. So suicide. Did, yeah, yeah, so he didn't end up doing now. I think what was interesting, so that to me is an example of, you know, the disastrous impact of not a culture not having enough psychological safety. And look, for me, you know, that one email, would that have changed events? We don't know, but it's indicative of probably what was going on in other people's heads. Yeah. Yeah, there are other people who are like, mm, you know, or, or didn't want to give the bad news or something like that. And I think what was interesting is psychological safety isn't just about individual employees feeling confident and safe to try new things and have their voice, it's also incumbent upon leaders to hear it and to embrace it and to take it on board. And so I think there are two parts to that story. What was interesting, you know, postscript to the story is that, you know, in some organisations, Rocha had, you know, becoming famous for this moment, uh-huh. may not may have had a career limiting impact, but NASA actually ended up, I guess, holding him up as an example uh-huh. of what they want people to do. And he ended up being, as well as doing his job, being a cultural ambassador uh-huh. and talking to new employees about. So they amplified this case. So because they never want to do it right. that again, you know. And so that's an interesting. I guess, you know, they were trying to change, you know, change the culture. And so use yes. that as the example. And actually, as you were saying earlier, one thing I think is really interesting about that and aviation in general, right, is what happens when a plane crashes. Yeah. They don't actually cover it up, right? No, there's an extensive investigation. We want to understand what went wrong so then we can solve it for the future. Yeah. You know, and, and so I guess if we start linking to circumplex stuff a bit, because I'll, I'll see. Mm where people, you know, we want a perfectionistic kind of culture. We want things to be perfect. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they are perfect. It Mm. just means we need to appear perfect, which, 
you know, the link to psychological safety is, you know, I have to look like I'm competent at all times, can't make any mistakes and so on. So if something does go wrong, maybe we just put that one under the rug, you know, because I've had people say, you know, don't you want your surgeon to be perfect? Yeah, yeah. You know, but, or no, <laughs> because no one actually is perfect. So to appear so would mean there's probably some stuff going under the rug. Yeah, and, and you know, to appear perfect or to be in a culture where you feel you need to look and appear perfect puts pressure and creates a risk. And, you know, our reaction to the risk that we might be exposed, discovered, embarrassed, humiliated means that we, A, probably aren't, we're going to suppress knowledge Mm -hmm. and we're going to find it difficult to hold the mirror up. Yes. And so that's not going to be good for me and it's not going to be good for the organisation ultimately. And I think, you know, one of the interesting things with psychological safety and I think sometimes what happens is we have these really great concepts and it's fantastic that psychological safety has become something that people now understand is important. And what I love about the circumplex is even though it's it's been around for 50 years, it's been measuring Mm. to an extent the level of psychological safety in organisational cultures. And I think, Dom, I thought it might be interesting for us to actually make the connection between psychological safety and the circumplex. So how so? How does it show up, Corinne? Yeah, I think in a culture, and it might be useful to think about how each of the constructive styles contributes to building and increasing psychological safety Mm. from a cultural lens. And then I thought we could talk about leaders' contribution to that. So one of the things that I think ultimately an organisation that is looking to create a psychologically safe environment If I can flip it for a minute, Mm. from an individual point of view, that means I need to feel supported and safe and I need to have the confidence to step up, lean in, experiment. Okay. So from a circumplex point of view, the way that achievement contributes to building a psychologically safe environment is it helps people understand what they need to do and why they need to do it. So it provides clarity. Mm-hmm. And in providing that clarity, in a way it kind of provides a level of certainty or assurance. Yes. If I'm not sure, it's really hard to actually give stuff a go, Yeah, you know, get involved. Yep. So I think achievement in a culture, how that plays out is that our mission is clear. We've got a clear business plan, organisational operating plan. We've got clear priorities. And that cascades down, creating a line of sight. So organizational plan, division plan, team plan, my plan. And, you know, you were saying earlier, it's about in pursuit of excellence, which of course falls under achievement rather than perfection. Exactly. And achievement's contribution is that clarity of purpose, Mm. explanation and understanding why. So you're framing Mm -hmm. what's important about this work and the role that you play, that your effort plays in in creating that big picture. So it provides the why as well as where you fit, place, permission, and why it matters. 
So it's not just the why, but why it matters and why it's important that we do the work in this way. One of the things that I think, you know, Amy Edmondson talks about framing the work. And I think that one of the things that I think is important that she talks about is to acknowledge that in any of the work we do, there's a lot of, you know, there's a good chance that we're not going to get things right and that we're, there'll be times when we make mistakes. And I think that an, a culture of its high in achievement is realistic. Yes. And so sets realistic goals, uses evidence and data points to come up with what those goals might look like and puts in and expects that there'll be some mistakes, but that we'll learn from them. Yes. So yeah. I think, you know, achievement's about the pursuit of excellence, the what, the why, why it matters and my contribution. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we don't expect perfection. That's right. right? We'll get some stuff wrong, but, you know, in a perfectionist culture, I've got nothing to learn because yeah. we are perfect. Yeah. You know, as an achievement, we can always do better so we can learn, you know, if stuff doesn't go or doesn't go fully to plan, we actually invite feedback. Yeah. Right? We want to improve. Yeah. Yeah. That's the contingency as well, you know, that's part of achievement. So that's achievement. I want to go to probably humanistic encouraging and affiliative, then I'll do self-actualizing okay. last and if that's okay. <laughs> so I'm that's, thinking about it. That's okay. Um, so that's achievement, which is really about the work that we do and how it's important and why it's important. Humanistic encouraging, super, super, super important, important mm. in, to organizations in building psych safety because humanistic encouraging is really the style that encourages trust and collaboration and coaching and is really about helping people to stretch and develop their thinking and their to develop their best. So the whole, I guess, the essence of humanistic encouraging is really helping people realize their potential. So that's the goal. And part of it is about giving unconditional positive regard. That's where its roots sort of come from uh -huh. with Carl Rogers. Now, just imagine if you have a leader who is truly interested and you have a culture that's setting a value around our purpose here is to try and help people be the best that they can be. And so we're going to set clear goals and we're going to provide support and we're going to provide encouragement and we're going to, when things go wrong, we're going to help them correct the problem. So humanistic encouraging I've found in the work that we do around culture is often sort of precedes achievement. So if organizations have can work on, on building humanistic encouraging, which is this interpersonal sense of support, development, you know, the examples of that in organization is that you're encouraged to listen, to take time with people, to help people resolve conflicts constructively. So this is all about collaborating, coaching, supporting, encouraging. And so my belief is that that humanistic encouraging then provides the environment, a tone in the environment that allows me to feel safe. If I feel safe, then I'm more likely to reach for more, you know, to lean in to a challenge because I know I've got somebody who's got my back. Yeah, totally agree that the road to building achievement is often through humanistic encouraging. And I'd say particularly humanistic encouraging leaders. You know, if my manager is humanistic encouraging, that's going to help me step into that achievement space. 
you know, interesting in your definition of that and both for me and a bit of a callback to earlier. So achievement was in pursuit of excellence. That is a high standard, mm. right? Excellent is excellent. It's not mediocre, mm. you know, and you talked just then about helping people stretch to be their best, you know, and so it's not about nice and you, mm. you talked about that earlier that it's not a nice quote-unquote environment which maybe we can touch on as more in the green space, right, in yeah. the passive defensive space. But actually we're stretching people, we're growing people, we're challenging people, mm. right, but it's realistic and we're going to support you to get there. Yes, yep. yeah. And I think that that's one of the things that leaders forget sometimes and, you know, is that we want to drive accountability, we want to set stretch goals. But the important thing with humanistic encouraging is you, you want to do that and I'm going to support you. Right. Help Both. me understand yeah. how best I can help you get there. Yeah. So one of the definitions, the, one of the distinctions is talk about a, a lot about leaders holding others accountable. Uh-huh. I think we've talked about this. For me, I'm now thinking about that rather than it being I'm going to hold you accountable, what I'm going to do is really help you take responsibility. Right. You know. So I don't have to hold you accountable because you're Correct. holding yourself accountable. Exactly. Yep. The holding totally. you accountable is really putting me in that sort of driver's seat and I'm going to drive you to do it. Well, that isn't what, you know, humanistic encouraging or even high performance about in an organisation that's interested in psychological safety and excellence. You want to help people get there and, and get there to leverage their potential and for them to be able to do it for themselves. You know, so I think that's super important. Yep. If we're going to hold people accountable, you know, walk down the line and hold them accountable, doesn't sound like a safe place to be. I know, you know but we me. use it. It's interesting, right? Because we use it all the time all in time. organization. And it seems like such a infinitely sensible thing to say. What organizations are saying often when they use that term is likely we're not holding people accountable. Well, people, people aren't taking responsibility. People aren't taking responsibility. And so I think. Because it's not safe to do so, would be my argument. You know, like they feel it's not safe to do so, and that's why they're holding back. Yep, or they don't know how to. There's, you know, so many reasons. So I think that's um, humanistic encouraging and achievement. Affiliative is really, I think, about connection. And I think one of the the styles that lends itself in addition, probably almost, you know, possibly faster to building trust is affiliative because it's really all about the human connection yep. and it's about gaining satisfaction from working together, connecting as a team, being a team player, supporting one another, having the team in mind when we're, we're doing things. Now, I think that's important from a psychological safety point of view because the more people you have who come together to provide that support, the more likely you're going to feel held by that an organization that creates that desire to connect and encouragement to people to work with each other, to cooperate, is really inviting the whole organization to be part of that, not just, you know, leader to to person. It's an interpersonal commitment. And it's knowing that people have your back. So if I'm under the under the palm paw, you know, I need support that people will be there to have my back and I'll have theirs. You know, and so instantly you can hear how that sounds safer right? Yeah. rather than I'm out here on my own, sink yeah. or swim, you know. And sometimes it's the difference between speaking up and not. If I know that I've got a few people who feel that way, yeah. then I'm more likely to feel like this is worth 
saying, you know, this is something I can't be the only person and this is worth talking about. Last but not least, self-actualizing. I think this is the style that from a cultural point of view, sometimes organizations struggle with. Mm. To me, self-actualizing, first of all, is a values-led organization. So really clear about uh, what's important to us and what are our priorities in Mm. terms of how we want to show up in the world and how we'd like people. So it's about standards. In an organization that has a lot of self-actualizing, there's a lot of encouragement to think in unique ways, Mm. to not just conform for the sake of conformity, to actually enjoy the work that you're doing, to actually be creative. Now, so many organizations want to grow and, you know, be innovative, but their self-actualizing is really low as a cultural style. Now, the importance of self-actualizing from an organization point of view as a value and as a, a style is that you're really giving people permission to be themselves, be true to themselves because of this desire. Don't just go along for the sake of it to fit in and conform. You are unique. We want to hear what you have to say. So organization got high self-actualizing is going to be sending that message and helping people to be authentic and encouraging people to step up, step in, lean in, use your your phrase, but to actually be true to who they are and therefore encourage them on that basis to speak up. You know, it's almost, it is psychological safety in definition. Yeah. You know, because, hey, I'm not worried about being sort of judged and therefore I'm freed up to give it a go, yeah. try something new, throw an idea out there, get involved, right? It's the opposite of avoidance. Yeah. Right? Go for it. Yeah. And so, it, you know, it, it really is the opposite. It is psychological safety in a nutshell. Exactly. You know? And I was thinking, what would you, you know, at an individual level, you're going to see somebody embody self-actualizing because they're going to, They're not going to feel defensive. They're not going to be worried. They're going, and that's going to show up because they're going to have a lot of fun. They're going to be able to be serious, but also have challenging conversations without taking it personally. They'll be able to speak up and disagree without feeling like it was a career limiting move. They're going to pull ideas that are left field ideas and just understand that it's okay to spitball. And maybe one of those ideas won't work, but it was worth exploring it. And so that's kind of what you see in an organization that's got high levels of self-actualizing. And you're right. Self-actualizing is how we embody that sense that I'm safe. Yes. And if we kind of flip maybe just just quickly to the mm. other side, in an unsafe, psychologically mm. unsafe environment, you know, if we look at the circumplex, you know, it says it on the tin. Right, and the top half is satisfaction orientated. That's what yeah. we've been talking about. Yeah, psychologically safe, and in the bottom is security orientated. Right, and so to me, that indicates that those red and green defensive styles I mean we don't have that safety, and therefore we have to seek it through those behaviors or through those expectations as a culture. Yeah, you know, so those green ones, you know, approval. It's not safe to be offside with others or to have a different view. So go along with them. Yeah, I think that, it, you know, you talk about this, Dom, sometimes is that the when we talk about security, what we're saying is people don't feel safe. Yes. 
And so they have to defend themselves. And the way that they defend is to adopt behaviors that they feel keep them safe. Exactly. And so there's a cost. Okay. So in an approval culture, I'm going to feel safer if I just go along with what you want me to do and if I just say yes. Yep. Okay. Don't push back. So all the, the passive defensive styles really, the cost to individuals operating in that culture is that they have to suppress themselves. They yep. have to hold themselves back. Because that's what keeps us safe. Yeah, know? and that's the cost yep. of operating. In, and for the organisation, they're never going to get all of what is possible you're in getting, terms of those people. You're getting compliance rather than commitment. Like that. You know, um, compliance, I, I, may have, right. I may have borrowed that from a book by David Marquet. Yes, you know, so so it's not safe to do something different, you know, so follow the rules, you know, conventional. It's yeah. safer to go to leave things the way they are. It's safe to not leave rock them the boat. Out. I'm just going to go along with it. I don't agree with it, but it's not worth my job. Right? It's safer to do what you're told, dependent. You That's know? right. It's safer to avoid yeah. that conversation, to avoid that situation. You know, so that's inherent. You know, those are kind of coping mechanisms, really, for dealing with a psychologically unsafe environment. Yeah. You know, on the red side, right, it's more about it's I feel unsafe, maybe, you know, so I've got to stand out compared to those around me. Yeah. So I've got to prove that I'm the smartest person in the room. You know? Yeah. I've got to know everything. I've got to be across all the detail. I've got to, one of the ways that I show how that I feel safe is by criticizing others, right. by showing people where the flaws and the mistakes are. So, you know, psychological safety is a, or not, it's not even safety. It's really a, a greater sense of security is gained by trying to stand out and to prove myself, yep. to compete with people around me. And so it's really trying to, in a way, it's not safe at all because I have to put on this persona. That's it. To pass. To pass, you know, to get that safety, I need to do these things, right? Rather than, I guess, when you're in that blue environment, you already have that, so you don't need to go seeking it, right? And that just freezes up to then yes. try things, throw an idea out there, give it a yeah. go. You know, I know I'm I'm not worried about that stuff, yeah. you know, and therefore- I can yeah. get involved in things. Absolutely. And, and so why, you know, I guess we've kind of been touching on this as we go, but from an organisation point of view, why does it really matter? Mm. You know? I think some of the things that we talked about before, it matters because we want to leverage all the smarts, yep. all the effort of our people as best as we can. And that means that we need to make them, help them feel safe so that they can speak up, challenge, bring new ideas try new things without worry of, you know, if I make a mistake that it'll somehow impact my career. For the organisation that when you create that level of safety, the quality of the solutions and the products and the work that you'll get will be much better because you'll know that people will have explored alternatives. You know that they will have covered all the angles. You'll know that they would have come to it through interpersonal collaboration and connection. And so you know that there's been cross-functional coordination in it as well. So the positive is better results, more effective use of the human talent that you've got in the business. 
retention because people will be happier and feel more effective and also the identification of potential mistakes and hazards and great learning, you know, from the mistakes that do happen rather than blaming or shaming as a result. So I think they're the why it's important to organisations. And finally, Corinne, how do we increase it Mm. perhaps? You know, so we sort of talked about, you know, it aligns with the circumplex. But, you know, for organizations, you know, I kind of laugh because I'll see teams or organizations or whatever kind of make the announcement, you know, this is a, in this workshop, it's a safe, it's a safe space. It's psychologically safe to say whatever. But it's one of those things, you can't just say that. (laughs) It doesn't work like that, you know, where you just kind of declare it and therefore it is. You know, and in fact, it's probably the opposite if that's kind of where you're going with it. So. I guess, you know, what are some kind of fundamental elements maybe for organizations to have in place? You know, in some ways, I think it's such a, it's a podcast in itself, but so I want to focus on the leader and what leaders can do because by and large, the leader's relationship with their team members is how people experience safety in the organization. So, and I love that example you said, you know, so many workshops, but this is a safe space. And I often think if you've got to be explicit about that, then maybe not. (laughs) not. So I think for a leader, we talk about self-awareness. So I think I also think about self-excavation, you know, in the sense that awareness is I know this about myself, but the excavation is I'm really looking for how, ask yourself the question, how am I contributing to a psychologically safe space for my team? How am I developing that? How might I be getting in the way. You know, how might I be accidentally, our colleague Ash Smith, we were talking about Multiply's book and he talked about accidental diminishes. Uh I'm intending to help, but really what I've done is in trying to add value to your idea, I've just squashed it. Uh You know, so I think first thing for leaders, before you go out asking everybody how you can make things psychologically Mm -hmm. safe, have a reflection, hit the pause button, get some quiet time and think about if you were to Look for evidence that your behavior, you were setting, you know, an environment psychologically safe. What could you see you were doing? A couple of specific things is I think that we need as leaders to get better at apologizing and admitting that we're wrong. (laughs) I think that a leader that says, completely missed that, Dom, or I'm wrong, I I got that wrong, I really needed to have listened to what you were trying to say to me. So I think leaders who can admit, be vulnerable, we talk about vulnerability, I think this is one of the ways you you show vulnerability as a leader, you apologise, say I'm sorry, you know, I would do that differently now or help me understand. So you're role modelling it. Yeah. So I think it's about role modelling it. I think it's about share your failures sometimes. I think I remember a discussion that we had once in our consulting team and I think Liana might have brought it up so. and we ended up having a big discussion on different failures that all of us had had. <laughs> and um, it was interesting because I think somebody said at the end, so I had no idea. And I thought, gosh, of course, you know, we're going to have failures. But I think it's important for leaders to admit when they've gotten things wrong and when something didn't work to plan because it shows that you're vulnerable. But in that vulnerability, you're showing that it's okay, you're role modeling, that it's okay. And you're also role modeling that you can learn from yeah. a failure. Yeah, exactly. We um, fell short on the mark and we can do better. 
I think the other thing is if for a leader, be respectful and honest, be respectful and straight. So if there's a tough message, don't be indirect, don't try and hint at it, be honest, care enough to be clear. Genuine, yep. And genuine. Go first. You know, I know uh, I was talking to somebody today who said that this leader is a bit prickly when they first get feedback, but they'll go away and they'll think about it, uh-huh. take it on board, but they'll never say sorry yep. <laughs> or they got it wrong. So I think one of the things with leaders is you, the leader is the one that has to go first, sort of share first, bridge the gap, you know, help people to come in. The other thing I think we talked about framing the work that Amy talks about, but I also like the simple acts of inviting people for feedback and asking. Now, I know a few leaders will say in every one-on-one and I'll say, keep, you know, tell me what I can keep, stop, start or what can right. be different. And they say to me, nobody ever tells me anything. <laughs> you know, so I think that sometimes people won't use that opportunity, but I think you've got to keep offering it. And, you know, there might be reasons why they're not using that opportunity, but you've still got to keep inviting The fact that you've invited me to speak up and speak my mind has just lessened the potential cost of me having to decide if I'll be honest or not. So I think that's important. And um, repair. Okay. So if you've done something, handled something badly with an employee, you're not sure, then, you know, go back and repair. But I think asking for feedback is important. The other thing I think that's really important is that when somebody challenges you and disagrees with you, it's important for the leader to say, great, good challenge. I never thought of that. So you've got to yep. actually send a signal that you're okay with it. Yep, okay. being challenged. Yep. Being challenged yep. and having a different view is okay with that. it. Yeah. I sat in with one of my clients and I was looking at a, you know, watching a, a senior leader's town hall and one of the people were very passionately disagreeing. And there was a bunch of people talking individually at different points. And the leader that we're working with spoke directly to the person who was the most critical, the most vehicle, and said, thank you. That is great feedback. I hadn't heard that before. Uh-huh. And I've been sitting here wondering, you know, what we can do about it because you're right. It's critical. So, and I just thought that was such a powerful symbol yeah, yeah. in that room. So I think there's some of the suggestions for leaders, simple things that you can do. If I could add on top, Corinne, you know, one I often talk to leaders about is, you know, keeping in mind, what is the big win? Yeah. Right? As far as this particular tactical decision or something probably doesn't really matter. Mm. Right? And I think as leaders, sometimes we get so caught up in needing to win every tactical battle that we lose sight of the bigger win, which is how do I get my team performing, you know, at their best, mm. right? And so sometimes it's going with the 80% solution, which is their plan versus the 90%, which is your plan, you know, because it's like you are saying with the accidental diminishes or whatever, right? If I can go with their plan, every time you're building that muscle yeah. as far as go for it, yeah. get into it, I'm with you, you know, go for your ideas versus even if my plan's marginally better, right? Yes, it's better in the short term, maybe. Yeah. But over the long term, we're missing out, you know, yeah. so, so keep the big win in mind. And as a leader, we get stuff done with and through people. Yeah, I love that. One more thing that I'd say, and Dom, I think we've talked about this before, one of the best ways of building psychological safety is build a relationship. 100%. You know, I think yep. some of the, you know, you can't kind of 
disregard people 90% of the time and then every now and then say this is a safe space. That's why it doesn't feel safe yes. because your relationship MO yep. isn't about them. Yep. You know, so you've the best kind of psychological safety is built day by day, every conversation, every moment that you have. So it's really not about events where you try and be authentic or vulnerable to create psychological safety. It's a day-to-day commitment and a choice as a leader that you really focus on building strong relationships with your team and with your peers and your bosses. Because who are you the most open, honest, you know, with in your life? It's people you have a relationship with, friends, family, you know, or close colleagues or, or whatever for that matter, you know. So absolutely, it's built on relationship. Awesome, Corinne. Well, thanks for your insights on psychological safety. I love that, it, you know, as you said, the Circumplex was developed decades ago. And even though this is, you know, come, has come into vogue, I suppose, more recently, the Circumplex still speaks to all the stuff and it lines up beautifully. Definitely. Um, so thanks for your time today on that one, Corinne. Pleasure, Dom. See ya. Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites. If you enjoy the show, Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. This podcast is copyrighted by Human Synergistics Australia, all rights reserved. To learn more about what we do, visit human-synergistics.com.au.